This morning we're going to start our journey through the Gospel of John. And I'll be honest with you this morning, I need to be careful this morning because uh, if I'm not, we could be here a very long time. The Gospel of John is my favourite Gospel. Um, I've studied and preached through uh, most of the Gospels. I think Mark is the only one I haven't preached through. Uh, but out of all of them, they all have wonderful things and they are all great and I enjoy them deeply. But Mark is still, or John is still my favorite of the Gospels. I love the way that he lays it out and the, the way he draws the Gospel. And, and I'll show some of that this morning. But part of what made John so, uh, so powerful for me was a time when I really needed some answers was a time when I was making my way through John. I, I was wrestling with things about how God deals with the salvation in lives of people. And particularly at that stage, it was about people who were falling away from the faith, who seemed to be in the faith for a long time. And it was through the Gospel of John that, that God really drove me to more deeply understand the the truth of salvation and, and what's often called the doctrines of grace, but not just to understand them, but to love them and to see how they have such a practical effect in the lives of the people of God. So John is a, is a very personal book for me because it made such profound changes in my own spiritual life and helped me grow so, so deeply in certain areas. And I hope as we go through that, that you will find some similar things through the Gospel of John too, as we learn and grow from how John presents to us Jesus Christ. And that's how I've titled this, this series of things we're going to be going through, is Revealing Jesus, because that's John's idea, to show us who Jesus is. Uh, you know, the, the question we're going to answer today really is, is why are we studying John? Why come to the gospel? The gospels are a wonderful thing to study no matter what, but, but why now? Well, Jesus, Jesus is a unique person in history, right? There is no one in history like Jesus. And what, part of what makes him so unique in history is you can't get away from him. We've tried. You know, we've even tried changing the way we talk about dates and things like that. But there's, there's no way that you can get away from the influence that Jesus has had in the world in every part of, of history. He is without equal in any aspect. But at the same time, while we can't get away, and the truth of Jesus uh, it comes through every generation, the world is cluttered with ideas about who Jesus is. And everyone has an opinion about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and why he came and whether he came at all. He's been the subject of, of books, countless books. There's documentaries about Jesus from almost every possible aspect. There's movies made of Jesus. In fact, I'm, I'm led to believe or understand that later this year or next year, The Passion of the Christ too comes out. So we've got this industry that's built around Jesus with so many different places and things. We've got Jesus junk, where you can buy anything you want with Jesus printed on it. And a thousand different things, music industries and organizations, even church organizations that 
that show us in some way or another Jesus. In our world today, Jesus gets used to justify all sorts of things. It doesn't matter what position you take on anything, you will find somebody uses Jesus to justify that, depending on who you talk to. Depending on who you talk to, Jesus is for war or Jesus is against war. Uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, because of Jesus, we're bound to keep the law or we're not bound to keep the law and the law makes no difference. Even in our current circumstances, I've met countless people on both sides. Says, Jesus is for wearing masks. So if you don't wear a mask, you're, you, Jesus is not with you. But then on the other side, there's the people who say, no, Jesus is against wearing masks. So we're even using Jesus to define whether or not we should wear masks or not. So it doesn't matter what you believe or where you stand or what position you take on anything. Someone is using Jesus to justify their ideas of this world. Volumes have been written about him. The internet is full of Jesus memes. And in all of this information and in all of this arguing and in all of this discussion and in all the information that comes around, Jesus gets lost and confusion surrounds. And in the end, while Jesus is such a, a, a intimate part of history and so deeply connected to everything that happens in this world, most people have no idea who he is. But they think they do. Even religion and popular Christianity has muddied the waters. Various religions teach things about Jesus. Islam tells us that Jesus was just a good prophet. The Mormons tell us that Jesus is a God. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus is a created lesser God. The Jews believe that Jesus is a respected and powerful teacher. So there's a thousand different religious ways to understand Jesus. Popular Christianity has even muddied the waters in their constant efforts to find new ways to make Jesus relevant, to fit our current society. Some see him as a gentle, long-haired sheep lover. Others see him as a stoic, serious God-man. I've seen pictures of Jesus as an African man. I've seen pictures of Jesus as a hippie. I've seen Jesus in pictures as effeminate. I've seen Jesus pictured in a thousand different ways in art and pop culture. So the question today is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And that is what the Gospel of John is going to answer for us as we study through it. I want us to see Jesus as Jesus reveals himself. To see the truth of Jesus. The Gospel of John is one of four authorized writings of his life. Like now, even in the, the early church, there were other writings of who Jesus was which is why Paul would warn, even in his epistles, don't heed any other gospel than what the apostles told you and taught. Because even from the very earliest times, there were different ideas of who Jesus was. So as we come to the gospel of John, 
we are not coming, and, and this is true of any of the biography, any of the, the Gospels of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we're not coming to a biography. I, I've, got a, I've got a couple of shelves in my office here of biographies, and usually they're quite thick books, and they cover every aspect of a life, and they try and tell you from beginning to end someone's life. The Gospels are not biography. They're not designed to give us every incident of his narrow life, to tell us every detail of his life. They have a much more narrow and specific purpose. The Gospels are designed to give us a glimpse into the important character of Jesus. To show us, not through the whole of his life, but through examples of his life, who Jesus is. So this isn't just a study to know more about Jesus. This isn't just for us to know more knowledge of Jesus as we go through the Gospels. Say, oh, I didn't know that story, or, oh, I understand more about this now. It's, we, we hope that happens, that as we go through, we understand and we gain more knowledge of Jesus through this. But my intent, because I believe it's John's intent through studying this Gospel, is that it stirs in us not just a knowledge of Christ, but a passion for him. A passion for Christ as we get to know him more truly. So today we're going to set the foundation for this study as we go through the Gospel of John. We're going to look here in John chapter 20 in verse 30 and 31. And we're starting here because these two verses represent John's theme. Here he tells us outright, this is why I wrote the gospel. So John chapter 20 and verse 30 says this, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, as we come to your word this morning, and as we we look to John to understand you more clearly. We pray, dear God, for enlightening that we might understand, that the light of Christ might shine more clearly into our lives, but also in shining into our lives and giving us understanding that it might also warm our hearts with passion. We thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the Gospel of John really about? Why? Because John is the last of the Gospels to be written. So why would John write another Gospel when he knew that three credible Gospels already existed? Already good quality writings in Matthew, Mark, and Luke there for us to understand Jesus. Well, that's what we're going to find out this morning, at least a little bit. And as we do, we're going to kind of pull some pieces out through John, looking through, so that you know what to look for. So as we're studying through the gospel, you can say, ah, there is one of his key themes. There is a, a thought he's developing. And you can see as we go through with some understanding what John is trying to develop as we make our way through this gospel. The first thing I want to start with uh, this morning is to consider the disciple who wrote this gospel. So let's talk about the disciple. In uh, John 21 and, and verse 7, it says, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, 
it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fish's coat under him and did cast himself in the sea. So there he introduces himself, or not introduces himself, but describes himself as he often does in that verse. In fact, nowhere in the Gospel of John does John ever name himself. He refers to himself as this, the disciple who Jesus loved. And that's how John refers to himself throughout the Gospel, the disciple that Jesus loved. There was a, a great and growing relationship between Jesus and John. Jesus, John knew that he was loved by Jesus. John was a follower of John the Baptist in the early days until Jesus called him. And you can read about one of, of, of his calls in Mark chapter 1. But when Jesus calls him and his brother and some others who are fishing, he calls them from their boats and from their nets and he immediately follows. Jesus says, follow me. And John leaves his nets and follows Christ immediately. Of the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples that Jesus calls to himself as the, the, the core group, John is the youngest of them. He's the youngest out of them. His brother is James, and just so you know the relationship there. But don't be fooled by his age. Even though he was the youngest of the apostles, he wasn't timid or meek or even weak. If you know much through the Gospels and even through his epistles at the end, you know that John is nothing like what he is often portrayed as in art and in popular culture. Uh, he is not the, the young, gentle-looking, meek person he's often portrayed as. John was a fisherman. He was a, a rough, strong man. He was rugged. He was blunt and straightforward in his life and the way he dealt with people. So he was no weak, timid little man. He was a strong, forthright young man. But just like, you know, and even one of his issues that comes through the Gospels particularly is he was prone to anger very quickly. In fact, so much so that Jesus gives him and his brother James the names uh, the Sons of Thunder. Because at a moment, they can go from being nice to call down fire on them, Jesus. And so they had this temper to them. So as you see, John through, he can be a, a you know, very loving person, but he also has a quick temper to him. But just like all of the other disciples that Jesus called, all the other 12 disciples, including Judas, Jesus calls John with purpose. There is a reason that out of all the people in Israel at the time, John is one of the 12. He chose him with purpose. He had many flaws, but he learned to grow. He learned how to deal with that. So this, this young man who Jesus gives the nickname Sons of Thunder soon becomes known as the Apostle of Love. So a young man who was deeply moved by anger at times becomes the apostle we look to most to find out what God means by his love. In his epistle in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10, John writes, He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling him. 
John, and this is one of the things that you will see through his gospel, John has this, this wonderful ability to, to balance truth and love. To be bold and forthright and strong in truth, but to be able to do it with, with a loving nature. It's one of his main themes. And in doing all of this, he masterfully connects to amazing truths, which we see here in our text this morning, but also as we begin next week. These two amazing truths that John is able to connect is firstly to show us that Jesus is eternal, almighty God. That is one of the things that John shows us very clearly in his gospel, that Jesus is eternal, almighty God. But he takes that magnificent, glorious, eternal, uh, high truth, and he connects that truth with the, the, the other truth, that as God, Jesus is personally involved in mankind's life. So we have verses like John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word, and that is Jesus, and we'll come to that next week in how that works. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In that one statement, John takes the glorious eternality of Christ and the humanity of Christ and brings them together to see how they affect humanity. Eternal God has come down to us. He is a disciple that was loved by Jesus because he was chosen by Jesus and followed Jesus. So as I said, this isn't just a historical document. John is writing this with deep, deep personal experience. So when we go through John and we start reading verses like we have done and, 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 and hearing what John writes, we're not just hearing somebody writing down history. We are listening to a man who lived this, who was deeply, personally affected by Jesus Christ. John gave up everything to follow Jesus, everything. He left behind his fishing. He left behind his life to follow Jesus. And he was no fair-weather disciple. You know, as we will see in John, particularly as we get to John chapter 6, we will see there comes a time in Jesus' ministry where there was a great many followers, but then they all fall away. John was not one of the ones who falls away. He was not a fair-weather disciple. He stayed around. A disciple, he stayed around. In fact, John is one of what we call the inner circle. So there were uh, just a, a few disciples that we find at the key places of Jesus. So there's John, there's his brother James, and Peter. These are the three we call the inner circle. Matthew 17, we find John is present at the transfiguration. So when Jesus goes up onto the mountain and the Father comes to speak with him, John is there. He sees that amazing event. At the Last Supper, when they, they sit around the table and they're enjoying that Last Supper before Jesus is to die, John is the one that is leaning on Jesus. He is the closest in proximity to Jesus. In fact, while they're there at the table, leaning and eating, there's John and it seems to be Peter next to John. Peter leans over to John after Jesus has said, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter says to John, John, 
ask Jesus who it is. So Peter, instead of asking, says, John, can you ask him? So there is a close relationship that developed between Jesus and John in a number of ways. When it comes to the end of Jesus' life on the, cru- on the cross, the crucifixion, John is the only disciple there. And Jesus hangs on the cross. And as he is about to die, he looks down. And amongst a couple of other women, he sees his mother, Mary, and he sees John. And he says to John, take care of Mary. So as we're reading through this gospel, we're not reading obtuse or distant history. We're reading the words of a man who deeply knew Jesus and deeply loved Jesus. When Jesus resurrects, the women come and tell the disciples, he's not in the tomb. Peter and John are the first two to take off, and they run, and they run, and they run, and it's John who is the first one to find the empty tomb out of the apostles. Peter runs in, but John is there first. After Jesus has been resurrected for a while, and the disciples, the apostles, are feeling a little dejected and and confused about what's going on in their life, and they, they try and go back to fishing. And one morning, Jesus appears to them on the beach there, as they're fishing, they've caught nothing. And they don't realize it's Jesus until John recognizes Jesus. John is the first to recognize that Jesus is the one speaking to them from the beach. Outside of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on this, what makes this gospel so powerful is how personally it affected John. This is a gospel, but it's also testimony. It's not just cold theology, but personal faith. John wants us to be affected by Jesus, just like he was. Which is why he writes with such purpose there in verse 31, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. See, Don just doesn't want us to know about Jesus. He wants Jesus to change our life like he changed his life. That's what the Gospel of John is about. And then, when our lives are affected by Jesus, he wants us to affect the lives of others with Jesus. John paid a high price for following Jesus. Tradition tells us that Later, he would move to Ephesus. He was a very important part of the Church of Jerusalem for a while, but later he would go to Ephesus and he would minister and teach and train people in in Ephesus. He was exiled by the Romans to the island of Patmos. You can find that in Revelation chapter 1. The uh, early church uh, father, Tertullian, says that during that period, or, or just before while he was on Patmos, John was boiled in oil but survived. So John paid a high price for speaking and living for Jesus, but it never stopped him. He lived for Jesus to the very end because John was captivated by Jesus. He was captivated by Jesus. He was overwhelmed by Jesus. 
Now, as I said before, John knows that there are other Gospels written. So in writing his Gospel, he's not trying to compete with them. So he's not trying to say, well, look, I know three Gospels have been written, but I can do a better job. That's not why John writes this Gospel. Understand there's so much of Jesus yet to discover, so much of Jesus still to learn, so much of Jesus still to know. Consider what he says in in verse 30 of John 20, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. In John chapter 21, the very last verse of his gospel, he ends with this, verse 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. He's completely overwhelmed. He has trouble grasping even all of the things that he has seen and the things that he has heard. Completely overwhelmed by Jesus, it is impossible to record all that Jesus did and all that Jesus said. Now John writes those two verses and he describes these things for us not because we're, we're meant to be overwhelmed with the volume of things Jesus did. So he hasn't written those to say, oh, wow, Jesus did a lot of things. That's great. He wrote those verses saying that the world could not contain everything he did. He says, I couldn't write everything in here he did. He's not writing them so that we will know how much he did. He's writing them so that we will be in awe of Jesus. So that we will say, Jesus did far more than we can imagine. He's trying to get us to see Jesus as he does, to be overwhelmed by him, to be in awe of Jesus. He is doing his best to try and give us a glimpse of God that can't be contained. Perhaps in those verses, and and I read this in for myself, perhaps in these verses, John feels like I often do after a sermon. I just don't know if I could get it across the glories of what was in there. I just don't, I, don't, I don't know if I said it well enough so that they could understand the beauties of who Jesus is. I think that's how John feels. That's how I'll feel at the end of this. I just don't think my words were enough. John is just trying to put us in awe of Jesus. He wants you to be in awe of Jesus just like he was. So he is exalting Jesus. The Gospel of John is unique in its, contributing, uh, its contribution to the Gospels. He is often called the spiritual Gospel, not because he is better than the others or it's more spiritual than the others, and so you're better off reading John. That's not why it's called that. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we often call the synoptics because they kind of go together and they overlap each other a bit, They deal more with the physical side of Jesus' ministry. We see what he did and follow his life through. They're much more physical, and and some of them are more uh, chronological in the way they go. Others are a bit more themed and saying, here's what Jesus did. They're a lot more physical in their descriptions. But John focuses much more on the spiritual nature of Jesus. Not just what Jesus did, but who he is, which informs what he did. Much of the material we find in the Gospel of John is unique. So where in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find a significant amount of overlap, and we see the same circumstance, but from different perspectives or added information into it. 
There's a little bit of that in John, but we see a lot of things which the other Gospels don't write about. Things they didn't uh, see as part of their theme, John includes as his theme. In fact, about half of the Gospel of John covers one week, the last week of Jesus. So as we get to about midway, so from chapter 12, 13 onwards, we're in the very last part of Jesus' life. You know, the early church very often used pictures to represent spiritual truths. And many of them we still see around. The fish that you see on the back of people's cars, which let you know there's a Christian who's driving terribly, uh, that was, uh, came from the early church. It was a mark of to identify as a Christian. So the early church very often used pictures and symbols and things to identify themselves or to identify spiritual truths along the way. And they did the same with the Gospels. They gave pictorial representations to each of the four Gospels. And I think it seems that they seem to come from the visions in Ezekiel and even, well, perhaps later Revelation, where it describes the angels that minister to God. So in the angels that minister to God, in Ezekiel chapter 1, and verse 10, it says, As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they had, and they had four the face of an ox on the left side, and they four also had the face of an eagle. So it describes this ministry to God as seeing this angel which has these four faces, a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. The early church took these and applied them as pictorial representations of the Gospels. Matthew was always or, or very often associated with the picture of man because it spoke about the humanity of Jesus. We have in there the genealogy of Jesus, which takes us back to, uh, through, through David because it was showing his, his kinghood, showing his, his royalty, showing his humanity there. The Gospel of Mark was often represented with the picture of a lion because of his majesty. Mark is one of those Gospels that has no genealogy because he's not trying to prove the humanity. He's showing us the great majesty of Christ. Luke was often portrayed with the picture of an ox because Luke speaks to us about service and sacrifice, how Jesus came to offer his life as a ransom for many, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. John is represented with the eagle. John has been represented the eagle because John shows us Jesus who comes from above. Who comes from above and then who soars to great heights. Who takes us to places we can't see. John takes us to the great heights. He takes us to see Jesus in the most magnificent way. To penetrate into the eternal mysteries of God. There's no genealogy in John because God has no ancestry. So as we look and as we find our way through the Gospel of John, we find a disciple. But we find a disciple with a glorious purpose disciple with a glorious purpose and we find his purpose here in verse 31 but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God 
the glorious purpose to know Jesus. To know Jesus. John is very upfront with his purpose here. The Gospel of John is a propaganda document. Not in the bad sense that we often think that it is. It is designed to further his cause and to change your opinion. And he's upfront with it here. I've written this so that you'll believe Jesus. No hiding it. That's what I want you to do. I want you to know Jesus. John wants us to know who Jesus really is. It's often said of the Gospel of John, and it's attributed to a number of people through the centuries, but it's often said of the Gospel of John that it is shallow enough for a child to wade in and deep enough so an elephant can swim. That is, that there is something in the Gospel of John for everyone. You can read it as a new Christian and find truth and learn and grow. And you can read it as an old, experienced, deeply theological Christian and still find truth worth delving into in the Gospel of John. There's something for everyone. So as we take it in, no matter where, and parents, take take the things in and, and talk about it with your children. Now, in a few few weeks, and say in about a month, we're going to have a, a Sunday school starting up again and, and things beginning for our children again in the next month or, or so as they begin. But as we study through the Gospel of John, take these things home and speak with them together. There's something in it for everyone. John wants us to know Jesus because he wants us to love Jesus. John is the disciple whom Jesus loved, which reflects a deep relationship. And it's a relationship that John wants you to enjoy. Just as John enjoyed the love of Jesus, he wants you to enjoy the love of Jesus. And he expressed this in his epistle as well. We love him because he first loved us. Why is he writing all of this? Why does he write his epistles? Why does he write his gospel? What is this all about? These things write we unto you that your joy may be That's why the Gospel of John is here. That your joy may be full. In knowing Jesus, we find true joy. We find true satisfaction. Jesus says it in John chapter 15. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. He wants us to know Jesus, to believe Jesus. As we go through the Gospel of John... John does not want you just to admire Jesus. And that's not what we want as we go through it, to just admire Jesus. He doesn't want you to just love the idea of Jesus. He wants you to know Jesus and love Jesus, and in loving Jesus, believe Jesus. Believe him. Not just like him, not just associate with him, believe him. And to believe Jesus, as far as John is concerned, as far as the New Testament is concerned, to believe Jesus is to follow Jesus. And John knew what that meant. He followed him to the very end of his life. It's not enough to know the history of Jesus. We must apply it to our lives. John, 
in his gospel. And you'll find this as we go through. John is bringing us constantly to a point where we must make a decision about Jesus. John never leaves us in limbo. He is constantly bringing us through his gospel to a point where he says, decide. Either Jesus is the Christ or he isn't. Decide. You can't sit in the middle. This is one of his great strengths. John chapter 3, as he's speaking to, to Nicodemus, he brings Nicodemus to that very point. Believe Jesus. If you don't believe Jesus, there is condemnation. But if you do believe Jesus, there is life. That dichotomy, that choice, comes constantly through the book. John does not want to, you to hear the words, but to see Jesus for yourself. In fact, he uses the word believe over 100 times in his gospel. And that is our invitation to you this morning. We proclaim Jesus because we believe he is the Savior. John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He does it because he wants us to worship Jesus to worship Jesus. John writes to draw our attention to Jesus. He wants us to worship. You know, there's a reason that this gospel is so evangelistic. Pastor John Piper uh, said it once like this. He says, missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. That is, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will worship Jesus. That's what the missions of the gospel is about. So that people who don't worship Jesus will worship Jesus. And that is John's intent. To worship Jesus. It's said that true theology leads us to doxology. Which means this. Theology is what we believe. It's the truth of what we believe. Doxology is an expression of praise to God. So if we truly believe something about God, it will naturally lead us to praise. And in fact, that's how we're going to end our service today is with doxology. He wants you to follow Jesus. He wants you to worship Jesus. He wants you to find life. And that believing you might have life through his name. As you read John, watch how often he speaks of Jesus in li and life over and over and over and over again. In him was life in John chapter 1. He gives eternal life in John chapter 3. In John chapter 4, he is the living water. In John chapter 6, he is the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he is the light of life. In John chapter 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life. You will find it over and over and over again. Jesus is life. Eternal life, free from condemnation and eternal judgment. A life so that we might be with him forever. Finally, we have a disciple with a glorious purpose to reveal Jesus. To reveal Jesus. As John writes, he wants to direct us to the real Jesus. He says that Jesus is the Christ, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means anointed or chosen one. He uses that title often in his gospel. He is the one that was promised to save us. 
He is the great promise of God. He was the one who was planned before creation and promised from the moment that we fell into sin. The one who will make everything right again that is wrong. To call Jesus Christ is to acknowledge that he alone is saviour from sin. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We're going to jump right into this next week because John begins with that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We jump right into this at the beginning. He is the Son of the living God. That is, he is eternal. He is very God of very God. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. This is why John is called the spiritual gospel, because he goes to great lengths to reveal that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. To reveal and to direct us to the real Jesus, to display the character of Jesus. Now, I've put these in the notes. If you have the handout notes there, you have the list of them here. So to take these, these things together and to, to achieve his purpose, John builds his gospel around seven statements. These are the I am statements of Jesus. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. So there are seven of those. I've listed them in the notes that you, you have there. I am the door of the sheep and so on. And so he takes each of those statements of John, of Jesus, and he uses those to show us who Jesus is. But he also has seven signs or seven wonders that he uses, excluding the resurrection. The resurrection is number eight. But apart from the resurrection, there are seven during his life, which John uses to show us. So in the, the statements of, John, of Jesus, Jesus is show, John is showing us that Jesus is God. In the signs of Jesus, John is showing us that Jesus is almighty God. We have water to wine. He heals a nobleman's son from a distance. He heals the layman at the pool of Bethsaida in John chapter uh, 5 and feeds the 5,000. And, and they're listed there in those notes if you want to read through them. And John uses and builds his, his uh, thesis around those things. The Gospel of John shows a disciple who has got a great purpose to reveal Jesus. So why are we studying this gospel? So that you will believe. I make no bones about that. As John is clear in his statement, so I'm clear in mine. We're going through John so that you will believe. Christian, we're going through John so that you will believe because to believe is to follow. To follow to the end of life to grow in your knowledge and love for God, to lead you to doxology, to worship and praise, to move you to use your life to reveal Jesus. If you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you have never believed that Jesus is the only way to be freed from your sin, 
that you need salvation from sin. I'm here to tell you today, what I want to tell you is believe Jesus. He is the Savior. He is God who lived and died to pay the debt that you owe for your sin. To free you from the condemnation that comes from your wickedness and sin. That you cannot deal with yourself and no one else can deal with for you except Jesus. And in believing Jesus, you will find life. Because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead so that you could have life, true, abundant, eternal life, so that you could be freed from condemnation of sin and rescued from death. So let's see Jesus for who he truly is. Let's learn to truly reveal Jesus to others, not the Jesus we want him to be, not the Jesus who is made in my own image. Let's believe the true Jesus. Will you believe him today? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Gospel of John. We thank you for the words that he's written. May they be powerful in our life. May they meet our needs. May they draw us to the Son. In salvation, if that is what is needed in our life, and deeper into discipleship as believers. Dear God, bless your people and draw those to you who need to know you as Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name.